Hi there, this is Watchin, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for black women on the corporate climb. In this episode, you meet Stephanie Snelly. Stephanie is the head of Creator Marketplace Partnerships at Spotify. In this role, she leads the company's strategic partnerships with platforms and brands that enrich Spotify's offering to artists with an eye toward helping them grow, engage, understand, and monetize their audiences. Prior to Spotify, she was Vice President of Business Development and Partnerships at iHeartMedia and led distribution and content partnerships across a variety of industries, including partners like Amazon, Samsung, Hilton, Comcast, and Sonos. Stephanie started her career as a CPA working on Wall Street and was committed to making a career switch to an industry and function that she was passionate about. Since that shift, she's also worked in business development at Sony Music Entertainment and brand marketing at Under Armour. In her spare time, she's an avid traveler, a budding DJ, and serves on the steering committee of Alvin Ailey's Young Patrons Circle. Um, as you'll hear in my interview with Stephanie, I got really excited at some points because she is working on cool stuff, but I really appreciated the level of transparency and how candid she was about the challenges that come with working in high profile companies, but also how she thinks about career change, career pro- progression, and just her place in um, this corporate world. So as always, grab your I Choose the Ladder notebook, your pen, and your favorite be- beverage, and get ready to get to work. This episode is brought to you by The Review Planner. For many of us, performance review season is about to begin. For many of us, it's also a challenge to remember all of the things that we've done during the year. So what happens is our performance reviews become a one-way conversation where our managers are telling us what they think we did during the year. And without proof of our performance, it becomes incredibly hard for us to advocate for that raise, promotion, or new position that we know we deserve. So I created the review planner because I always wanted a tool like this a systematic way to track all of our career accomplishments that are specifically tied to the feedback and growth areas that our managers are measuring our success by. The review planner helps you create a schedule for your career growth, and it makes it easy to focus on the goals that you have throughout the year. With email templates, monthly checklists, built-in accountability and reminders, The planner keeps you on track to accomplish your goals and ensures you are spending your time on the things that actually move your career forward. I designed the review planner to help you focus on your career and prepare for your annual review so you can confidently speak up for yourself and earn what you deserve. To learn more about the review planner, head to thereviewplanner.com. Again, that's thereviewplanner.com. So Stephanie, thank you so much for um, agreeing to my random email outreach um, to be on the podcast today. I think that um, your career is one that women need to know is possible for them. So thank you again for joining the podcast. Of course. Thank you for having me. Um, So right now you have what I would call a sexy job, right? (laughs) It's taking you years to get to that place. So can you think back to like when you were younger, not that you're old now, but like when you were younger, um, did you know that corporate America was a thing where you raised to aspire to have a professional job? Like, how did you know that corporate was a place that you could end up growing professionally? Yeah, I would say my job might sound sexy now, but it was not always sexy to, especially to most people. But um, I grew up in Bermuda. And so corporate America wasn't 
the the North Star for most people growing up outside of America. Um, however, my dad was an accountant. His dad was an accountant. So like I came from family of an, of accountants and it is one of the major industries in Bermuda. Financial services is the top um, industry or uh, contributor to the economy. And so I just automatically thought, okay, in order to have a job back home in Bermuda, I have to pursue accounting. And so that's what I did. And when I got to college in the US in North Carolina, UNC, shout out to the Tar Heels, I, um, I realized I wanted to stay. And so that's where corporate America came into the picture once I got exposure from living in the US. So um, this is super interesting to me. So you grew up in Bermuda. I'm obsessed with Bermuda. I've never been, but there are a couple of influences that I follow and they make Bermuda mm-hmm. so sexy. It's um, beautiful. So growing up, not in the States, right? So then how did the, how did you find your footing, right? Because this is not what you thought you'd be doing. And I think for a lot of people, the, the, the sentiment is that like, if I don't have family that can put me on, if I don't have a network, if I don't have this, mm-hmm. this, this. Like that wasn't your story. So how did you approach your career or how did you even figure out how to approach career in the United States? Yeah. um, Well, one thing I would say about me is I'm very, very adaptable. And like whenever I'm in a current situation, I just maximize that present moment. And so I quickly learned the value of working hard, networking, um, just trying to be in the right place at the right time. Um, But as I said at the beginning, it didn't start off sexy. So I kind of went through the traditional like job security route where I was sponsored. Um, I had a scholarship via an accounting firm. And so upon graduating with my master's in accounting, I was able to stay here and go right into the workforce without much like confusion and trying to find my footing. It didn't come until later on in my career when I realized I wanted to make a change that all of the other necessary skills came into place in terms of making that transition. So when you think about networking and building your network, right? It's something I've done episodes on this. I cannot stand networking. And so I've Mm -hmm. found ways to like build connections that work for me, but like if there's someone who's thinking about building their network and they're starting from scratch, right? let's say that they don't have family here, they're new or they mm-hmm. are switching industries or whatever. Like, what are some things that you've seen networking that's been done really well to form connections and some things that were maybe missteps that you're like, ooh, maybe reconsider doing that? Yeah, um, I would say the first and easiest place to start, whether you're in school or college, are, I mean, school or in pro- professional careers, are your workplace. So like, I would start networking with senior leaders in the company or managers, even colleagues, and then leveraging conferences. That was like my main footing where I kind of got my swag in terms of what do I do when I'm in a sea full of new people. Mm -hmm. And that's like you join a cocktail circle. You don't have to drink, but like it's Mm -hmm. easier. I feel like you have the permission to walk up and talk to strangers in those scenarios. And that's where like my training got ground occurred where I was just like walking up to people and saying like, oh, so what company do you work at? And letting the conversation um, go from there. I'm not gonna pretend that um, it's easy for everyone. I happen to be an extrovert and enjoy meeting new people. So like that doesn't apply to everyone, but across the board, I would say find that similarity. And usually when you're at a conference, you're all there for like, one similar reason and start with there and build on that. Um, And I know one of the things that comes up quite a bit in terms of networking, and when I say quite a bit, it comes up quite a bit for me, 
I think it's the the fear of like rejection or the fear of like you're going to go up and talk to somebody or you're going to reach out to somebody senior right somebody might see you at work and they want to talk to you but your title may intimidate them Mm -hmm. the level of intelligence or whatever thing that they have projected onto you that is associated with your identity Mm -hmm. so how do you how do you get how do people work around that right like if you are so if you're introverted first of all and then if maybe you have a a block around rejection and you're like, well, I'm a, what is she going to want to talk to me for? I'm only a manager. I'm only a coordinator. She could be mm-hmm. How do you work through that? It's tough. I think that what people don't do enough in terms of networking is preparing before. Mm-hmm. So for those people, I would say if sometimes conferences give like a list of attendees, or if you're going to an event where, you know, certain people might be I would stalk them first on LinkedIn and see who um, you feel like you would have uh, most in common with, whether it's the same school, whether you have a mutual contact where you can be like, oh, you know, John, I know John too. Like something like that, that will um, create a common ground outside of hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And then that's something to build off of. But honestly, it's a numbers game and it's like dating, like, you have to be prepared to be rejected and be resilient enough to bounce back. And then eventually, if you meet enough people, somebody out of there will take to you and you can build a relationship with them. But if you're, if rejection is your biggest fear, like networking may not be for you because it happens. And one of the things that the bits of advice that um, I've heard shared is that the thing that is not for you is probably the thing that you need to be doing the most, right? Mm-hmm. You are afraid of rejection. You need to put yourself in enough situations where you get exactly you get over it. Because yep. unfortunately, rejection is a part of life, especially in the professional space where it's like, yep. unless you plan to stay in the same job forever, um, rejection could be in the form of you not getting the promotion that you want, right? Mm-hmm. It could be in the form of you not getting a title change or you not getting that new opportunity, right? You yep. know? crawl up and die at work and be like, exactly. oh my God, my yeah. it builds character, it builds resilience. And honestly, in this age of like the digital world where everything is virtual, have Twitter fingers, like email, who cares if you get rejected over email? Like you're not in front of them to fail. So just send the email and you can delete it from your sent inbox and pretend it never happened. <laughs> I've done that before because I'm so embarrassed to press send and then just keep it moving and hit as many people as you can because now's the time to do it and hide behind your computer. <laughs> but make sure you are professional. Let's talk about this in outreach, right? Because I'm pretty sure you're someone um, who people want to get to know, people reach out to, they see your job, sounds Mm -hmm. exciting, and people want, like, what is the proper etiquette? So let's say they don't know you, right? Mm -hmm. A warm introduction to a friend, like, that's how Mm -hmm. I got you. Like, what would you recommend for someone who's like, man, she seems, like, not necessarily you specifically, I don't want y'all all all to be in Stephanie's DM, so this is not specifically her. (laughs) But I say, though, there is someone within their company who's in senior leadership especially Mm -hmm. if you're a black woman, right? Because there's not a lot of us in senior spaces. And I think what people don't realize is because of that, there's so many requests that you get. Um, So how how do they go about reaching out in a way that doesn't cause them to get blocked instantly? Yep, Um, I can write a book on this because I (laughs) literally get emails all day, every day. And I'm just like, why would you reach out to someone like this? One thing I would say is putting the burden on the person you're emailing. So getting emails like, hey, I was curious about roles at 
Spotify or whatever company, um, can you let me know if some roles will come out that like would be a good fit for me? Like, I'm not your recruiting agent, you know? And so that automatically puts a bad taste in my mouth. If you put, hey, I've researched the job board. I've seen these three roles. Um, my, my qualifications are X, Y, Z. Was wondering if you have a referral system where you can submit my resume. And if you have any other time to speak about the roles, I would love to chat. That takes the burden off of me and it shows me that you've done the work. Mm-hmm. Or even the emails were, hey, I would love a chance to just pick your brain. About what? Like, I don't have time to just explore or like just chat with somebody for fun. So oftentimes I push back and put the ball in their court and say, hey, if you can lay out five questions that you have for me, I would be happy to answer it over email. And if I think it, it will require a phone call, we can do that. Sometimes I never even get responses to that reply because they haven't even thought about what they want to ask. They just want your time. And so I would just encourage people not to be selfish with other people's time because it's valuable. And also, like, I think that people may think that they're the only one sending those pick your brain emails. And it's like, oh, you are the 20th that I got today. If I gave everybody time to pick my brain, Mm -hmm. 20 of you. Exactly. When would I actually do the work that you admire me for? Right. right? Like I would have no job because all I would be doing. Exactly. And the quick pick your brains are never quick. It's not. They're like never quick. Like 20, 50, <laughs> three hours, right? Yeah. Phone and you know. And then you get into those conversations, and they're like, "So, can you tell me about what you do?" And it's like, I need more guidance. I need specific questions because I don't have the time just to have an exploratory conversation, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you have, and this is something that I think that people, because you only get one time to make a first impression, right? Mm-hmm. If in that first impression, you're wasting someone's time. Exactly. It's that you're going to access them or anyone they know, it's slim to none because they're not referring you to waste their friend's time. Exactly. And they're not going to refer you to waste their network's time. And so if you don't, if you don't seem as someone who is strategic enough to at least do the bare minimum in the beginning, yep. it's really hard to grow Put your in the work. Yep. It just does. Um, so one of the things that we hear about all the time ad nauseum is around how important it is to have mentors and how important it is to have sponsors. Mm-hmm. And so like how have mentors and sponsors played a role in like your career progression? Because I know you mentioned you pivoted. You are clearly no longer working in an accounting firm. No. Um, so how, <laughs> how do you think about mentorship and sponsorship as it pertains to like the career goals that you have for yourself? Yeah, so I, I have heard to nauseam the same narrative and I might be the minority, but I don't have just like one dedicated mentor or someone I go to to bounce all my ideas and seek advice from. Um, like I said, I I. I am very courageous in terms of outreach and I'm very um, smart about how I get in contact and how I build relationships with people. And that has afforded me um, opportunities to get coffee chats with people and make it valuable for both um, sides time or just build relationships with people so that if it is a simple introduction I need or I'm making a transition and this one person has been in this role before and is knowledgeable about how to transition, they can give me very poignant advice. Um, But I don't have like that one person that like touches, checks all those boxes. Mm -hmm. And so 
Um, I will say though, that equally as finding one mentor is having solid relationships with people that you can call on and it takes off the burden from, it's like becoming official with them in terms of giving them the title mentor. Sometimes that's intimidating to the mentor. Mm -hmm. And so um, I prefer to just like reach out to people, keep the, the relationship consistent. And then when I actually need something, it's not out of the blue. And we actually advise against one, like having just one mentor, like mm -hmm. someone can't be everything to you. Like that's exactly, they're trying to be everything to themselves. Yeah. And we talk about a personal board of directors where you have like mm -hmm. an advisory council of people yep. of different roles at different times, mm -hmm. uh, but don't put the pressure of having one person be your end all be all. Cause let's say yeah. they move and, or they, whatever life circumstance happens, mm -hmm. yeah. like things change. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your hair. Nobody can see it except me, but y'all is bomb. Like it is <laughs> black girl magic personified, right? And um, a lot of, I think the commentary about us in the workplace, unfortunately gets minimized to like our physical appearance, right? Like mm -hmm. what are we doing here? What are we wearing? Like, are people wearing daishiki? Just like foolishness, right? Yeah. But as you transition from an industry that's like pretty conservative, so accounting, mm -hmm. to now working in, I think like, I would say music, right? Why would you consider Spotify? I would call it tech over music, at least specific to my role, yeah. So tech, so moving in tech, right? How have you seen the ways that you, has the ways that you decide to show up as a mm -hmm. Black woman, has that changed? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say the beginning of my career, which was a factor of a being young and a lower level employee, but also in a conservative industry, I, my hair was always straight all the time. Like I didn't switch it up a lot. Even my outfits, I felt actually like an outsider in my own body. Cause I was like, I don't dress like this. Like I'm in a blazer and a knee dress all the time. And I don't even look like this. So when I uh, made my career transition, it's funny, like people had different criteria as to what they want, like their new job post business school to be. One of mine were, I want to be able to go to work as my authentic self in terms of outfit, hair, nails, whatever. And that was just, it, it seems very trivial on paper, but it represented to me like the freedom to be myself and me not having to code switch as much as I had to do in the past. And so now um, I will switch up my hair like three times a week and... <laughs> Like, hey guys. Um, and it, it is a it's a factor of the industry as well, where your tech, music, creative industries, you're more allowed to be creative and expressive in terms of what you look like. Like people have full tattooed sleeves, like, and back in the day, my mom would have been like, Where do you think you're going in green nails? So um, I think a lot of that has um switched with the industry, but I'm just very grateful that I could be my authentic self and have so big hair. What would, you, what would you say to that person, right? So they're, you know, mid-career, so they're not super young, but they're not mm -hmm. super senior, who feel like they're foreign in their own body right now because of how they feel like they have to show up. Like, is there some allowances for people to just, regardless of industry, regardless of job, to at least show up as a version of themselves that they're comfortable with? Or do you feel like, people need to understand what they're signing for, signing up for in the industry and then do what is required. I think the latter and um, my free spirit itself might not agree deep inside, but I think you have to know what you're signing up for and also identify what's it worth to you. 
So if, if dressing up in a suit every day literally breaks your soul because this is not who you are and you feel like you're putting on a mask every day, then to me, that's not worth the, the mental health aspects of going to work every day. You should find an industry that fits you. But if wearing a dress is just uncomfortable and you have to wear it for eight hours and then you can switch into your sweats after work, but you're doing a good job and you're getting paid well, like it might be worth it to you. So you have to weigh the pros and the cons, but don't ever think that you can just like start protesting and make a stand because you want to wear green spiky hair to your investment banking job because it's not the right place for that. And you have to identify that. Agreed. Uh, agreed a hundred percent. And I think that like part of what we discuss is you need to, if you want to show up as yourself, yourself, when you have the job, you need to show up as yourself in the hiring process. Yeah. Just so the company understands if what you're giving is what they want to receive, right? Like exactly. all the, the, the ways that you show up so that people don't feel like they've been bait and switched or whatever mm-hmm. the, the, the excuse may be at the time. But yeah. So you talked about going back to get your, your to business school. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a bunch of people who listen, who are on the fence. And mm. uh, how did you decide when the right time was, and then what were you hoping to accomplish outside of regaining your soul from it being some part of the dresses and the suits? Um, great question. People ask me about business school all the time. Um, I am not a salesperson for business school, and I would never encourage someone to go and spend almost $200,000 to get a degree. Um, however, for me, I felt like it was necessary Take a step back. I don't even like school. I have three degrees and I don't like school. I don't like sitting. That was and- the was like, wait. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I really hate sitting in a classroom and listening. I'm a doer. I like learning from practical experience. However, unfortunately, I had to get these degrees to get where I am. And um, I don't think everyone has to do that. So the reason why I switched is because I was switching industries. I tried my darnest to do it without going back to school by trying to get like an accounting role in a cooler industry and then maybe like get my foot in the door and switch. And none of those paths were working out for me. Um, And so I felt that business school was a way to start with a clean slate and have recruiters and companies look at me as an MBA, former accountant, who's looking to do something new rather than someone who's just trying to switch jobs without any like rhyme or reason. And so. I would encourage those who are already in an industry that uh, they either have transferable skills to the new space they're trying to get to, or they're already in the industry they're in and they just want to change functions Mm -hmm. to try to do that without spending the money. Like the internet is an amazing place. You can get so many uh, certificates and training and you can you have to pay for a lot of it, but you're not paying hundreds of thousands of dollars. And um, you can also have conversations with people or see if you can do like a shadowing of us, another employee in your company in your spare time um, where you can make that transition easier without having to go back to school. But you also have to think of the opportunity cost, like going back to school for two years may, means that you're also not making money for two years. So not only are you spending money, you're not making money. So the impact is almost double. So um, yeah, I encourage all, if you're rich, go back to school. It's so fun. And it's like summer camp for two years. But if you just don't have money to throw away, I would encourage you to explore all paths without it. 
and I'm doing my MBA in the evenings and Mm -hmm. that has its own challenges. Right. And I think I have the, the position where I'm working. So I have income to pay for school, Mm -hmm. but like experience is completely different. Exactly. Also, you're not getting, I don't feel good about spending $15,000 every 11 weeks. It just don't sit right with my spirit. Like it's just not a thing. And for me, I'm thinking about why I went back. It wasn't necessarily because there was something that I want to do with it, mm-hmm. but the way that the the job market is going, I don't want to get to a place where I want to do something because I don't have it. All of a sudden, I'm no longer considered for something that could potentially be, um, exactly. you know, really beneficial to me. And then also with running my own company, the credibility that you get mm-hmm. to accomplish something like going and getting an MBA from the University of Chicago, I think allows people to take you more seriously in the absolutely in the world of business but I definitely don't think that it's necessary right and for some people if you're going to be in a sales job for example there are so many people who are senior sales leaders who do yep. not have MBAs or advanced yeah for sure get it because it's what everybody else is doing get it because you've actually thought through exactly to utilize weigh them. the pros and cons and also if you're trying to get into a career where you might not make a ton of money. It might not be worth spending that money. Like if you're going to get the ROI on it for the lifetime value of your career, then it makes sense. But look at it like you're making an investment and making sure you're getting the return on that investment. Mm-hmm. Agreed, agreed. So let's talk, uh, talk about some misconceptions. I think okay. that when people hear like, oh, she works with Spotify. Like we think that you are out here just like you at work, the music's blasting, like everybody <laughs> thinks that they want to work there, everybody's cool mm-hmm. and all those things. Like what do people not consider when they romanticize what it's like to work for a recognizable brand? Like what, it, what are some misconceptions that you think people have about the work, the actual work? Well, okay. So the vision that you just painted is not completely inaccurate. <laughs> Um, but I think people look at the product, let's use Spotify, um, which is a streaming music product and think that everything just revolves around what the consumer has and what they're using, which is music. When you asked me what I look at my career as music or tech, I said tech because I'm not necessarily working with record labels all the time and in the studio or like listening to what new songs are dropping. Like, that's not my job. I'm working with product teams to figure out what tools we can build to serve musicians and allow them to build sustainable careers. Mm-hmm. And so it impacts it impacts creators at scale. Um, it's, it's kind of also like a passion project as well, because I am very passionate about the arts and having creators live off of their work. But um, there's a lot of like technical skills that go into it. And I think the hardest part is getting your foot in the door. Like we get tens of thousands of applications every day. And so it's not just enough to love music and use Spotify every day to get a job there. And I, I imagine it's the same at most companies and all the past companies. I've worked for a number of quote unquote cool companies and getting your foot in the door is, is super hard. And so you have to prove your like actual technical knowledge, um, but also your passion for the product. So let's talk about passion a little bit, because I think that um, COVID and the world has put this idea on the fact that like people need to monetize their passions Mm -hmm. 
on steroids, right? Like everybody needs to have an LLC. Everybody needs to have 700,000 streams of income. And when you have a full-time job for some people, they may feel the pressure of Mm -hmm. like, oh, maybe I need to diversify and turn my passions into this and that. So like, how can you, how do, how would you advise someone or how do you think about maybe having other streams of income while having a corporate job? Or is it like, is it one or the other? Absolutely not one or the other. I think everyone should have more than one stream of income. And I'm saying it to myself too, because prior to COVID, like I already knew you should have multiple streams of income, but whether it's laziness or my schedule being too packed with my full-time job, like I just didn't focus on the other streams of income. And um, I think once COVID hit and you saw so many people get laid off and how all their eggs were in that basket, mm-hmm. it I never wanted to be in a position where if I lost my job, I lost everything. Mm. Um, and I think one misconception that people think in terms of streams of income is that you have to be an entrepreneur. Um, that's not for everyone. Everyone doesn't have a brilliant idea or Ooh, say that again one more time. Like you do not have to be an entrepreneur to have an additional stream of income that can be investing passive income and you can make hell of a lot more money prop investing smartly on the stock market versus building a business from scratch and not making money in the first year. Um, it could also be like consulting or the side, pay people to use your time. Like you can go on Upwork or Skillshare or any of those platforms that people require your level of expertise without having to build an entire business for yourself. So um, I think it's completely possible. Just don't bite off more than you can chew because entrepreneurship is not meant for everyone or even most people. Um, So don't just jump into it because you feel that everybody has a side hustle. Mm. And then, so we'll talk about like how you like think about balancing. So if, as you consider like what things are you thinking about, but Mm -hmm. let's go, um, I'm gonna go back real quick and I'm not trying to be shady y'all, but just listen, if you have not developed the skills to be a good employee from your corporate job, you're probably not going to be good at entrepreneurship. If you cannot hit deadlines at work right now, you're going to have problems hitting the deadlines that pay you when you are an entrepreneur. Exactly. If you don't have discipline, if you don't have relationships, if you don't have critical thinking ability, if you are not strategic, this entrepreneurship thing is going to be a challenge for you mm-hmm. as opposed to looking at your job as a, an obstacle preventing you from becoming an, op, um, an entrepreneur because the man got you on lock. It's mm-hmm. like, how do I develop the skills mm-hmm. that allow me to generate revenues through different streams right so absolutely talking about consulting well you have to have a certain level of expertise for somebody mm-hmm. to pay you although on clubhouse lately everybody yes. is doing a lot <laughs> you don't want to be one of those people right exactly but if you think through corporate you're happy you are who you are wherever you are right and mm-hmm. so if you don't develop the habits now and you don't figure out what you need to learn to be marketable to be able to to generate revenue it's going to be a struggle on either side of this yes for sure And so as you think through balancing, right, like you just talked about, you know, you hadn't thought about it maybe because your schedule is so crazy. So as you think about potentially balancing multiple streams, what factors are you considering? Yeah. So actually this year I did start my side hustle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's starting with a platform right now. Um, It's a page on Instagram. Everyone should go visit it. It's called Black and Home and that's B-L-K and home. And it is a platform that celebrates 
the homes of Black people around the globe and connects the people who are inspired by them. And so the objective of it is to showcase how we live in terms of decor, hosting, self-care, cooking. Go ahead. (laughs) One of my favorite show ever is The World's Most Extraordinary Homes. Mm -hmm. Like there's a show on Netflix. Is this the Black version? (laughs) That would be so amazing. Well, firstly, I want to clarify, it is not just for extraordinary homes. It's for dope homes. So that can be your... That could be your studio apartment all the way to your mansion. But yes, showcasing how awesome we live. Stephanie. <laughs> oh my God. I'm going to be like your number one groupie on the Please page. do. Like, Tell a friend. amazing, right? Yeah. And we just started it too. When I say we, it's my sister and um, my business. But we just started about two months ago. And the feedback has been amazing. And people have big dreams for us. Like, People are saying we need a Netflix show. Yes, that's what everyone's saying. (laughs) And you could, girl. We'll talk on the side. People who are listening, I'm sorry (laughs) that I'm going off on this tangent. I know this is not what y'all are here for, but this is amazing. Okay, so balancing it now, how, what are you thinking about balancing it? Yeah, so um, the great thing about my job is, and this like pandemic working um, setup is that I'm very flexible with my schedule and I can like, juggle both during the day without someone clocking my time. Mm -hmm. I think um, what's key in terms of balancing side hustle and your main job is the transferable skills between both. And so I'm learning how to build a brand and customer acquisition tactics. And also I'm leveraging my main job, which is partnerships to think how I can build partnerships off of this side hustle. And so you never feel like your time is being thrown away on either side because both are working together to make you excellent on either gig. And I feel like, and that is the part of working for corporate that Mm -hmm. people don't give enough thought to. Yeah. Right. So when I transitioned to full time working for I choose the ladder, my mm-hmm. job was corporate partnerships for the majority of the time. So a mm-hmm. lot of the relationships that we have now, companies are trying to get like it takes me five, six years to get there because, yep. I feel like, because I already knew them. My exactly. five, six years already started five, six years ago. Yep. We already had those relationships. But that's phenomenal. Um, so I think we'll, we have time for maybe like one or two more questions before we go to um, the lightning round. But one of the things that I think because you've been able to pivot and you did it through school, right? But mm-hmm. think about a time within a job. It doesn't have to be your current job where maybe you felt stuck, right? It's like, I've done everything that I can and mm-hmm. we can't talk about B-School because everybody might not go to B-School, but like yeah. you did everything that you thought you could and the answer was still no, like it's not time. Like, How do you, one, remain productive in that time? Because I think the temptation is that like, well, they don't see me, so I'm gonna do the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. That's actually the worst thing that you can do, right? Because then you start to ruin your reputation. But mm-hmm. when you think about a time when you were stuck, how did you get unstuck? Yeah, I had, um, I worked at another um, company that um, I started as a consultant, but I like came in with the intern class. So people saw me as an intern, even though I like mm-hmm. wasn't in school. Um, and I ended up working for that company for a year, even though the gig was eight weeks, um, because they wanted to keep me because of the value I was bringing. However, I never quite got out of the like consult, like the entry consultant salary that they first were paying me. And so when I was trying to transition into full time, the numbers they were offering me were way below like 
my market value and what I knew I was worth, but they kept on seeing me as like this intern that's like fresh out of college, even though I was fresh out of business school. And so um, I was very transparent. I was like, I tried a number of times. I got multiple offers at that company. It was just never enough. And I think sometimes it's not quitting if you realize you have to move on. And I told them like, I really want to stay at this company that I'm at right now, but I don't think our goals and our, the value that I'm bringing is aligned and I've exhausted all my options, but I do want to maintain good relationships with you guys like after I leave. And that was the best thing I could have done in terms of the relationship side. Cause most people have left that company and we like throw each other plays all day because um, I just maintained this positive rapport even while I was transitioning out of the company. So sometimes leaving doesn't mean that you quit. It just means that it's time to move on. And I encourage that. So let's talk about leaving. How do you know when it's time to move on, right? Like it, you obviously you have not worked for Spotify for your entire career. Mm-hmm. There have been, you've worked for quite a few cool companies, mm-hmm. but, and I think there's sometimes the temptation to remain at companies because the names are sexy. And when people hear them, they're impressed and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah, things. But you've gotten to a place where like you, the job no longer serves whatever objective that you have. So how do you know when it's time for you to move on? I would say one, um, boredom. So if you're no longer being challenged, if you like don't really care about what you're doing anymore and like your eyes roll every time you get an email, like it's time to move on. Like it's no, life is short. There's no point just dwelling somewhere where you're not, your spirit's not being fulfilled. Um, The second one I would say is if you're being underpaid, and I say that with the asterisk because just because you think you're making more money does not mean the market thinks you should be paid more. So if um, but if you have done your research, whether it's through interviews externally or just looking at um, like salary scales and you realize you're being underpaid, another asterisk underpaid doesn't just mean salary. So if you might not be getting the cash you're taking home might not be where you want it to be, but you're getting benefits. You have work-life balance. You have peace of mind. You have a good team. All those contribute to the value of total value of your job. So definitely consider all of that because you can go somewhere else and get paid a ton more and literally be miserable because you're not getting those intangibles. Um, But definitely that would be a, a time to leave. And then my wild card would be if an opportunity comes knocking at your door. So I wasn't planning to leave for this current job, but um, they knocked on my door and it was like an offer, an opportunity I couldn't refuse. So sometimes you just have to pack up even when you weren't preparing for it. Um, So let's talk about when opportunities come knocking, because I think like you have three degrees, you have all these things. And there are still times where like, even after we've accomplished all this stuff, we still feel imposter syndrome, right? Like it's like, well, wow, they really came knocking? Like, mm-hmm. what? what are they, you know, like, mm-hmm. have you ever dealt with imposter syndrome? And if so, how do you manage? Yeah, I would say I don't deal with imposter syndrome as much now just because of what I know about other people and the confidence <laughs> I have in myself. And when I say what I know about other people, this is one reason why I don't really have it anymore. It's because, like, I've been to business school with a lot of white men who people usually have imposter syndrome around. And I've seen where they've gone and the leadership roles they have. And you're like, I was smarter than you in class. Like, 
nobody knows what they're talking about or nobody is an expert. People just know how to communicate maybe better than you or have more confidence than you. And that's something that you can develop easily. So just realize that not only that you have a right to be in the position, nobody has more of a right to be there than you do either because everybody is literally making it up as you go along. And the longer you work, the more you realize that like, oh, they're not smart. They just know how to sound smart. And that's a skill you can just learn how to develop. On YouTube University, just exactly. (laughs) Go to Toastmasters, learn how to learn how to talk because half the game is talking. If you're a black woman, you have the technical, like, and you've gone to school and you've Mm -hmm. done the work, like you, intelligence is not the challenge. Exactly. It's the confidence. Yeah. Because we work with some dumb people. Exactly. And we know that you've sat across tables from people who you're Mm -hmm. like, how did you get your job, honey? Exactly. Um, Okay. So let's go to the lightning round. Okay. Um, ones are super easy, like super quick. Um, don't think too much about it. It's the first thing that comes to your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, what's one piece of career advice you wish you had gotten sooner in your career? Work smart, not hard. Or work hard, but work smarter is more important. Mm. What's the career lesson that took you the longest to learn, but it's had the biggest impact on your career? Also that, um, but also playing the long game of relationships and not making um, networking transactional. What's one book that you could read over and over again? I would say A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle. Oh my God, it's so good. It's so good. It's so deep though. I remember the first time I tried, I was in my my early 20s when I tried to read it. And I was like, what is he talking about? Oh, if I read in my early 20s, I would not have been as receptive, but it's life-changing. It is. I joined a book club with like women in their forties and they were like, this is deep. And I was like, I'm like, this is what? But now it's like, it, it's yes, cool. absolutely. Um, so then the last question is that we all know that decisions about your career are made when you are not in the room. So what do you hope people are saying about you when you're not in the room? More than anything that I get the job done, I, depending how I get there, whatever, but they know that I'm going to have results and I'm going to do it well. Mm. And with that, thank you so much, Stephanie. This was so much fun. I could literally talk. Clearly, we could talk all day. I know, and we will. We'll we'll catch up. (laughs) You all know that I always like to end each episode with my top three gems, although it's always hard because our guests are so phenomenal. But the first one and this one, um, really, I felt this on a spiritual level. Don't be selfish with with other people's time because it's valuable. It's not that people don't want to help you. It's that there are tons of people who are vying for the attention of the same people that you want to connect with. And so make sure that you are making the most of your request um, when you do reach out to them. The second thing was um, to be clear on your criteria of what you need from a job, right? If that is not clearly defined for Stephanie, it was showing up feeling like she was herself, feeling like she was in her own body and that she wasn't showing up as someone else. And that was high on her list um, when she was looking at companies. So for you, what matters most to you and make sure that you don't waver on that because something looks good because in the long run you will probably end up regretting the decision and then the last thing is um playing the long game with relationships i know that um sometimes because we are an instant gratification type uh, culture um, it's hard to treat relationships as relationships we tend to be transactional with them but the relationships that pay off in the long run are the ones that you are committed to investing in over time. Um, And I know that that's true for me and for most of the people in my network. So 
understand that relationships are a long game and you don't necessarily need to withdraw from them right now. As always, if you want to keep the conversation going, you can connect with us on Instagram at I Choose the Ladder, on Facebook at I Choose the Ladder, on LinkedIn at I Choose the Ladder. And until next time, thank you for listening.